Taylor Swift's Masters, Conan Quits Late Night, Merch Bundles, and Charts. That showbiz, baby. Welcome to episode 25 of That Showbiz Baby Podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin. Back in the small room, as Back always. in the small room, man. We just, do it for you. We're, this small room's for you. Yeah, this is our <laughs> void. We just live here. Yeah. You know? Joe gets that corner, I get this corner, and then the rest <laughs> is the podcast set. Absolutely. Hey, uh, wanna... But Colin, where can they uh, find us sleeping here? Yeah, if you want to see some hot sleeping pics, I take a Joe at night in the corner. Uh, Twitter at Showbiz Baby Pod, Facebook and Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, email That Showbiz Baby Podcast at gmail.com. And I am sticking with that social intro. <laughs> I'm not retracting any information. <laughs> we should uh, we should make that those pics uh, part of the Patreon thing if we ever get that. Rolling. Yeah, just here's a uh, tier for you. Uh, tier two patrons get a photo of Joe sleeping. Oh, yeah. Um, but let's talk about sleeping and especially sleeping with the fishes because I feel like that's what Taylor Swift wants to do to Scooter Braun right now <laughs> is no, I don't know, but she's very mad about it. So if you haven't heard, uh, Taylor Swift's masters have been sold by Scooter Braun to Shamrock, which is a, which I'll get into and she's going to re-record them anyway. We kind of talked about this about two podcasts ago. So quick recap, just so if you didn't hear that. So Scooter Braun's, Ithaca Holdings acquired Big Machine Label Group for $330 million in 2019, which included the master's rights to Taylor Swift for the first six albums, which we talked about on Podcast 23, if you want to go back and get a real, real deep dive in that, and we'll probably mention it a little bit, but we're not going to lose you, don't worry. So now Ithaca Holdings has sold the master's rights of Taylor Swift's first six albums to Shamrock Capital, a successor company the shamrock holdings for a price in the region of 300 million on november 16th of a little over 18 months after acquiring them they only had it for a year and six months yeah uh and again and like, they did absolutely nothing <laughs> so they just bought it held it sold it <laughs> so yeah if you want if you listen to that quick math here he, they ithaca holdings bought it for 330 million the company not just her masters. It came with the masters and then sold the masters for 300 million. So that's just bananas. And apparently uh, it hasn't been confirmed the exact amount of money. And I believe from my research and I've seen that scooter and specifically Ithaca holdings will probably get some money due to the success of how they market the masters and shamrock. Mm -hmm. But I've seen between 300 million and 450 million. Mm. So important to note because they could either be making more money than they sold the company for or bought the company for or a little less, but still pretty good. Um, yeah. So the same date, Swift tweeted out to her fans after many were asking about her opinion on the situation since the company uh, sold her masters. And she said, and I have to read this all out just since so we get it on the same page. As you know, for the past year, I've been actively trying to regain ownership of my master's recordings. With that goal in mind, my team attempted to enter into negotiations with Scooter Braun. 
Scooter's team wanted me to sign an ironclad NDA stating I would never say another word about Scooter Braun unless it was positive before we would even look at the financial records of Big Machine Label Group and then which is always the first step in a process uh, in a purchase of this nature. So I would have to sign a document that would silence me forever before I could even have a chance to bid on my own work. My legal team said that it is absolutely not normal and they've never seen an NDA like this presented unless it was to silence an assault accuser by paying them off. (laughs) Basically he would never even quote my team a price these master's recordings were not for sale to me. Mm. Um, and then a few weeks ago, this is still Taylor. My team received a letter from a private equity company called Shamrocks Holdings, letting us know that they had brought a hundred percent of my music videos and album art from Scooter Braun from the six albums. This was the second time my music has been sold without my knowledge, but I'm going to, we're going to go back to the quote. I have to say, we talked about it in the last one. This has been refuted by Scott Bruschetta, who is the CEO of uh, Big Machine Label Group. And he claims, uh, if you want a quick update, that basically Taylor's father had a lawyer at the shares meeting where they were going to sell this, uh, represent him. And it was from Taylor's management company. And so she had sort of a representative there. And then apparently uh, Bruschetta says that he texted um taylor a week before the the holding stuff gonna so i just want to put that in there and so everyone's caught up the letter told me the back to taylor told me that they wanted to reach out before the sale to let me know but that scooter braun had required that they would make no contact with me or my team or the deal would be off As soon as we started a communication with Shamrock, I learned that under their terms, Scooter Braun will continue to profit off my old musical catalog for many years, and I was hopeful and open to the possibility of a partnership with Shamrock, but Scooter's participation is a no-starter for me. Taylor then went on to add that, again, she plans to re-record her first six records, and she has the right to do so as of this month. Very important. She has even shared a letter in that same tweet that she sent to Shamrock that in the first part states that she would have been excited to work with the company because of their values and appreciation of music. But she goes on to add, quote, this is why I was so disappointed when I learned that under the terms of your acquisition, Scooter Broad, Braun and Ithaca Holdings would continue to receive many years of future financial re- reward for my music masters, music videos, and album artwork. If I support you as you request, I will be contributing to these future payments to Scooter Braun and Ithaca Holdings. I simply cannot in good conscience bring myself to be involved in benefiting Scooter Braun's interests directly or indirectly. She continues to add that quote, I wish this could have been a better outcome. Please do let me know if your firm is ever completely independent from Scooter Braun and his associates. (laughs) And the process to tell the company that she plans to re-record, and she basically goes and says, I plan to re-record the records, just so you know, and it's going to devalue the old masters. And on that, she goes, I hope you will understand this is my only way of regaining the sense of pride I once had when hearing songs from my first six albums and also allowed my fans to listen to those albums without feelings of guilt for benefiting Scooter. On top of this 
uh, Swift will, I assume, but in the past, continue to block the use of sync of her old masters as she owns all the publishing rights to the songs. Mm. Um, and she's, I, I would imagine she would continue to keep doing that, but she's been doing that for a long time since the acquisition in 2019. As, and basically to end it, she wants her music to be used in very various mediums, but quote, but I only want that if it is on my own. <laughs> yeah. So if she owns it basically. Yeah. Um, do you think that, uh, the reason Braun sold it is because he couldn't do anything with it. So here's my thing with it. I think Braun sold it because look, you have to think about this range, 300 to $450 million. He sold it for the amount. He still has ownership of the label or the holdings group does. Again, the holdings group is made up of multiple investment funds and other bigger entities. I think like the Soros family is involved and there's another entity involved that I can't remember the name of, but he does, he didn't buy it himself. Like this holding company as a unit bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think personally for them, they still have big machine uh, label group, which has like a couple bigger artists on there that are, I think will make more than $30 million. Uh, one that comes to mind is like lady a is on there and like, Oh, I had a couple, but like basically they're the, the company isn't completely ruined by, you know, Taylor leaving now they've diversified enough. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like the, if it's the low ball and it's 300 million and like, and they got it for 300 million, then they only have to make 30 million with the label to recoup, you know, and be in pure profit for the Ithaca holders for the next foreseeable future. So I think that's why they sold it because like, it it just seems like a great deal for them now that they, they got out of the Taylor stuff, the Taylor stuff, like from a scooter bronze side has pretty much dragged him under the rug. His yeah. family has got death threats over this. So I'm sure he's glad to go. Okay. Well, now it's not completely owned by me. So that means that right. people aren't going to just immediately go, Scooter Braun, you own this. Uh, but I he mean, still made a profit off of it. And so. will continue to make a profit off yeah. it. The Ithaca Holdings, that is, because he's involved with that. Um, but I think that's a little bit harder for someone on the street to understand as opposed to Scooter Braun owns the work that I worked countless years to develop you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's way it was like oh you still make some money off of it that's harder to get like a rallying cry over you know yeah. um yeah it seems it's it's uh i think i, I just want to emphasize how important this is 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 because we're kind of in uncharted territory a lot of the time uh with this specific uh i guess story in itself uh in what taylor's trying to do it seems like um and I think it's going to be interesting to see. I, I tend to believe, uh, I, I don't think Taylor's going to get those anytime soon. You know, I don't think she's going to get ownership over those anytime soon. I think she has a moral, from what everything she keeps saying, she keeps saying over and over, I do not with Scooter Braun to get money from this. Yeah, exactly. So I do not think that she will be a part of it until Scooter is completely gone. Now Which, we don't have the thing of the deals. So I don't know if he's in perpetuity getting a percentage of this master's like revenue or something, or if it's just like, Oh, for the next like three to five years, you get a percentage of it or something. I don't know. I would imagine it's probably the latter, but I, it might be a longer time. You know, it might be 10, 20 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's just going to be 
it's difficult on her end because of how rooted in he is. He's basically burrowed himself into this deal. Well, you know, he's completely rooted in. He got the investors all together for it. He owned the label that owns the masters. So she's got that. Um, and like he, he is one of the main people in this Ithaca holdings thing. You know what I mean? So like he's going to be getting a percentage for either in perpetuity or some amount of time. Yeah. I don't know which yet, you know? Well, and that's why I asked before, um, you know, did he sell this mostly, you know, because he couldn't do anything with it because it seemed like with Taylor blocking all of the sink, the, yeah, the sink royalties, which, um, if you don't know, is a huge chunk of income for songs. Yeah, it's about um, the second amount of money you can, the number two for publishing. Exactly. So. And to be honest, publishing is over uh, physical sales, all of that stuff, just because you can do so much more with that. Right. So if you have the power of publishing of the songs, you generally have majority power of the song, but... You know, when it comes to the master recordings themselves. She still signed a way to exploit the master. Exactly. And so, like, they can produce CDs. They can produce, they can put it They streaming, can do reissues. You know they can I mean? do all, all that stuff, physical copies. Which is why, actually, I didn't put it in here, but, like, she was mad about, I, I think it was about three or four months ago, because they put together a live album she did. And, obviously, she's been on UMG since last year, about. And so, she was, you know, they were like, she literally said she was like, clearly my masters aren't doing that very well. If you guys have to scrape together a live album from like, you know, when I played on a bunch of radio shows, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, you know, that's, this is, that is the real question here, Joe is what, first off, I think scooter and Ithaca holdings. Okay. I think they're winning because they're either making back the amount of money. They invested in an entire company getting the rest of the company, losing the Taylor Swift masters, or they're making way more than that. And they're already in the green. So like financially they're doing great. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, I think for them, this is a win. I think this around. is a win. And the question really is, is will this devalue of the masters occur because of her re-recording and stuff like that? And that is the real question to be argued here, because I feel like I've thought about this because, you know, it's like a book to read all about the Taylor Swift Braun stuff. Yeah. It's like, so you, you kind of have two camps here. If she re-records her songs and then there's the masters also in the market for you to stream or buy a CD or something like that. I think Taylor has the advantage for the sync because she still has, you know, the publishing for that. And then she's going to own her masters in the next thing. So I think it's like, you could have a whole new number of people that get exposed to it in a movie or a commercial. And they're used to Taylor's version. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so like that's a win for her, but at the same time, I don't want to doubt the power of the old masters and the people who really grew up with, you know, Taylor Swift or really got into Taylor Swift in these first six albums to be like, I like her version, but I want to listen to the original song I grew up with. Yeah. Now I think there's kind of also two camps in the fan base. Are you, you know, Taylor Swift is a huge giant artist and pe a lot of people listen to her, but not everybody is a Taylor Swift mega fan that listens to Taylor Swift, obviously. Which is surprising sometimes, but right. <laughs> so like, you know, there's a lot of casual listening of Taylor Swift too. So like for them, for the casual, like who's like, Oh, I like blank space. You know, that's a song I like. I feel like they would be like, Oh yeah, I kind of want to listen to the song I like if it's, you know, cause like there's only so, so much you can do to make it the exact same, mm -hmm. you know? 
I mean, well, that's what I'm wondering if, if when they re-record it, is it literally going to be like, she knows exactly how they recorded it, right? Is it going to be the exact same recording, just a newer version of it? You know what I mean? Like they just, you know, do all the takes again. This is literally the same MIDI instruments, everything. I, I want to put just one little pin in this and just say, this is like a master audio student's dream because 90% of the time they make those people do uh, re-records where they try to sound the same. And everyone always complains in those master's programs. They're like, yeah, it's fun and it's cool to learn the techniques, but it's not very useful, you know, other than like learning the sonic characteristics i could use in another song boom baby i bet you money she's gonna want some songs to sound the fucking same oh yeah you know I what mean, i mean especially the bangers you know like um but you know at the same time what if she's like she sees this as an opportunity to make the songs even better to where like maybe maybe before there was I don't know. Some producer was like, we shouldn't make it sound that's, like this. But that's now, the thing. That's the problem with better is subjectivity. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? So we're not going to really know until it comes out and how the public deals with, with it. And if they're going to even accept my, a new version, my of opinion it. of it right now is I bet that, I, I bet that because she has the sync licensing and stuff like that, she's going to get the masters are probably going to grow in value in the re-recordings and stuff, especially the earlier albums that are more about when she was country. And I mean, she was young, you know, and everything. Yeah. And she didn't have like the giant budget she did back then. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like those songs could be like, okay, like the public could sway and go, we would rather listen to these, you know, like first three albums. The hard sells are going to be like a 1989 or a reputation. Yeah, because those those are kind of her pinnacle. Right. Those like, are kind of like, you know, especially 1989 is yeah. just, it's very hard to be like, I guess oh, I, I, I want to go ahead. I would argue red over reputation, but um uh, yeah, right, I, yeah, I think Red and and nineteen eighty nine are going to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. Songs. Actually, I just completely forgot it for a second. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it. That's the thing is, it's almost like a battle between nostalgia and being like, I want to listen to the actual version I grew up with versus yeah. like, you know, uh, do I want to support her? I feel like well, the mega fans are going to be like, yes, we have to support Taylor. But I feel like the casual listeners might be more towards the nostalgia and be like, I kind of listen to, you know, maybe, but at the same time, uh, let's talk about just reissues or something or like remasters. Let's say, do you, if you, you, you listen to a lot of older artists, right? Who, Correct. and they come out with remasters. It seems like every like three years or like a remaster of some, one of their older records. Yeah. Do you generally listen to the remaster or do you generally listen to the original work? So this is a complicated question for two reasons. Some artists basically like there's a difference between like what a remaster is in some people's minds, which is the thing. Some people think a remaster is we've retooled the whole song. Yeah. And like the mix is so different and all this kind of stuff. And there's instruments you've never heard before or something like that. And then some people think that a remaster is just, okay, we got a mastering engineer in here. He did a new mix. This guy did a more tighter mix, you know, or something like that. And then boom, it's out. Now, the second question, the second problem with that is kind of like a remaster sometimes can be forced down your throat. Because sometimes they can go, take the old one off. I just want the remaster. Yeah. Or the record label really can do that. It'd be like, don't put this on streaming. Put the remaster on streaming. You know what I mean? So, like, that's why it's kind of hard 
to, you know, quantify that question because that's the thing with the remasters things is which direction are they going to go? Are they going to try to fundamentally change, you know, what's going on? And is it going to be, you know, a monopoly of, you know, that song necessarily like, Oh, you can only find the remaster now. You know what I mean? And like to the public, there's a, you know, obviously there's a, difference between the people who can go oh wow i never noticed that very subtle cello part to people being like oh this is just the song we used to listen to back in the day yeah you know what i mean and that's like positive but then it's a very dangerous game if you change the song too much and people are like what the fuck is this why why is this piano here you know or or now too what's going to pop up first on the streaming site you know, that's a good what's, question. Too. What's getting the most streams and going to pop up on your recommends on the artist page? Right. You know? I mean, you could argue that the old masters might have a leg up if you went on a Spotify thing and like, because they have the numbers to back right. it. It's got so. like 49, you know, it'd be like, Oh, this song which, has like 700 million streams, which I'm more inclined. I think, uh, to a certain extent, it's an uphill battle for Taylor now because of how big those albums were and because of how popular they were. Like, it's going to be hard to, to compete with that, with the new version. But yeah, I, I agree with you, but I, I would want to say like to the viewer, I'm not arguing that Taylor Swift's a loser by any means. Oh no, she is, she, she's going to be fine. She's no, <laughs> well that, and she's done this very, very smart. I yeah. mean, clear, clearly she likes to have full ownership of everything. That's why she even has the leg up in the sink. She has her publishing rights. Um, and so, like for her, like morally and from the most financial I could be for her not to have those masters sucks. You know, like if we were trying to go max profit, like how could I, and you know, universe three, five, eight Taylor Swift made the most money possible ever because she actually owned those masters and they're, you know, not owned by Scooter Braun partially and now uh shamrock. So like, I, I, you know, at the, if you want to make that argument, that's fine. You can say she's kind of the loser if you're comparing, you know, the most idyllic scenario. But she has communicated to her fans and created a cause of being like, I'm, you know, I, and in some ways I can argue yes, in some ways I can argue no. I'm the victim here. You should support me because this big corporation is holding me down. Yeah. And you should support me because it's really a battle over songs and almost like a, you know, like, it's almost like Prince. Like it's almost like the Prince thing. Yeah. But it's way smarter. <laughs> you yeah. know? But like what I'm trying to say is like, she has positioned it in the public eye and you know, a lot of people that really think like, Oh, Taylor just got destroyed by this corporation 100%. And she's the complete victim here. And she needs our support. You know, like she keeps saying it and she's tried everything she could. She's out out of luck. You well, know? and her fans are, I mean, loyal as fuck. Right. <laughs> like, so like what I'm she, tra- she treats her fans great. So, so what I'm saying is like, look, you can have your opinion about if she actually was completely victimized by this. What It's just the name of the game. Yeah. Or is it, you know, kind of a 50 50 scenario between both sides being dicks to each other. You can have either one you want. But to say, in my opinion, I think everybody kind of is pretty much doing good here. It's going to be interesting, except maybe Shamrock Holdings. That's the only one that I can think of with the Masters is that if, you know, you can't exploit it with sync and then... And your numbers start dropping. Right. And then you can't, you know, obviously if we have that argument that, you know, a Spotify or anything's going to show the original Masters first, 
that's still a good amount of money, but like, obviously it's not the most money we could get out of it. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? It's just more of like a thing. It's not really necessarily a win or lose. It's just like, Oh, that kind of sucks on a lot of sides, except for Scooter Braun. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's getting, he's getting out of this pretty unscathed. I, I say that in quotations. I, I, the, you know, uh, I will say the public I backlash for him was, was the tremendous. Yeah. The man was getting death threats. His family was getting death threats. People in the and, music industry were, were attacking him, his character as well. And that. the other thing I'll add is that he has been a manager for a lot of notable, you know, mostly uh, big artists, Justin and Bieber. young artists. And I think currently Ariana Grande actually is what I yeah. was reading. And so, you know, the ability for him to have a public persona and going out and maybe getting the next big thing is very important to him. And so you could say for his management, it kind of hurts him a little bit to, you know, to for artists, you know, if you're the next big thing and you go, Scooter Braun wants to talk to you. And the first thing you think is, isn't Scooter Braun the person that screwed over Taylor Swift? You know, that could hurt him a little bit. Yeah. And uh, but I, it's also Scooter Braun was also the guy who discovered Justin Bieber with Usher, I think. And then, yeah. uh, you know, works with Ariana Grande, one of the biggest pop divas of our lifetime. I just think the thing with it is just more. I think there's some negative there. I don't know what the weight of it is, but yeah. I don't think it's. I don't think it's completely out of the question to be like, no, Scooter Braun got out of the scot-free. You know what I mean? I'd be like, no, his reputation is, you know, not, oh God, that was a bad pun. His <laughs> reputation has been hurt. Uh, oh, see, I didn't even notice until he pointed that out. Well, once you read the six albums over and over and over <laughs> in every press thing, then you start getting it in yeah, your head. Yeah, it gets rooted in so, there. Yeah, I don't think there's that many losers. I just think people didn't win as much as they wanted to. Yeah, and we're definitely, this is going to be developing, I think, for years. This might be a year thing. I think for years, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, the The next step for this, if you're interested and would be looking out, is to see how her masters do. Yeah. And to see if they surpass over time, I think in the beginning of it, it's going to be good. Like, you know, people are going to support it. This is going to be a number one thing or something like that. At least a top 10, but, but then as time. Yeah. yeah. And that's the big thing with it. And like, look, I get it. Music, music is spikes, right? But that crest of going down and maintaining is long and a lot of money, you know? So absolutely. Well, um, moving on next, uh, YouTube Music takes aim at Spotify in a way you would not expect. So YouTube has announced its newest ad buying beta that now allows buyers to target different music mar- markets by buying ads in different areas with different music lineups, such as like top 100, country, K-pop, etc. Basically genre-based like playlists and uh parts of the platform itself. Um, So YouTube is allowing targeted ads to be used based on moods or interests, such as fitness, relaxation, et cetera, et cetera. Sounds a lot like Spotify. Exactly. (laughs) Um, These ads would be 15 seconds long, audio-only ads that would be sprinkled in between listed podcasts and songs. And representatives at YouTube speculate that the move will boost ad revenue it generates from music on the platform and is looking to compete directly with Spotify. Spotify system. Global YouTube music head Lair Cohen said that the installment is, quote, trying to help artists in the industry earn more revenue from ads, period. 
He literally said period. (laughs) And that it directly benefits its record label partners and their artists. Um, He went on to state that subscription revenue is important. And now music companies understand that advertising opportunity, that the advertising opportunity, um, they love that we're building muscle on both sides. So YouTube currently flexes numbers of over 2 billion logged in viewers that watch at least one music video each month that more than 50% of them consume music content in a day, listen or watch more than 10 minutes daily, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, 10 minutes to get anybody to stay on a platform is a pretty significant amount of time. (laughs) So video consumption is still the top category claiming 85% of, uh, of the platform. Um, but YouTube thinks that missing 15% can be made beneficial to marketers with audio ads. Currently the audio ads are in beta, which is available via auction on Google ads and display in video 360 on a cost per thousand CPM basis with options for video or audio. Audio ads usually have a still image or simple animation that accompanies it when shown on the platform. However, in order to place options against YouTube's dynamic music lineups, it's only accessible to the top 5% of music releases, which is dubbed, uh, quote, YouTube Select Music Lineup, which consists of artists such as Drake, Big Sean, Logic, Bad Bunny, Shakira, Blackpink, BTS, The Beatles, The Killers, Foo Fighters, Coldplay, Kelly Clarkson, yada, yada, yada. The big people, right? So there's a couple things uh, to break down here. I mean, obviously, uh, we have seen Spotify, and I would even argue um, the first uh, platform to really integrate ads, I think, effectively when streaming was starting out was Pandora. Yeah. Um, Because everyone had a free Pandora account, you kind of just dealt with the ads. The ads weren't terrible. You know, they would come every like five songs um, and they weren't insane. Now it seems like they come after every single fucking song. But um, back in the day, it was great because it was like free music, right? Like Pandora was like the only streaming platform I knew about. It was before I think it came before Spotify. Um, and Spotify is now kind of kind of went that route and there's a bunch of like jokes and stuff about how loud and obnoxious Spotify ads can be. So I think Spotify ads are not, uh, like as, um, ignorable. It seems like as the Pandora ads were, and it seems like YouTube, which is skilled at just getting people to watch ads in general on its on its video platform is, is taking it's what it does best and moving it to the music platform. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think the thing with this that's scary to Spotify is their parent company, Alphabet, and the stranglehold that Google has on ads and analytics and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. That is the thing that is going to wretch up like the amount of success of these ads. Yeah. And that's the, it's not because, you know, you do, like we talked about YouTube music is doing better. And everything in terms of subscribers and stuff like that. But that's not, you know, the scary part to Spotify necessarily is that, oh, more people listen to it now and there's more ad revenue. The scary thing to Spotify is the amount of businesses that are used to dealing with Google and ad services Mm -hmm. and the amount of people that are well versed in that and know how that works. And Google has that down packed better than any company ever, you know? And so that's kind of the thing with this is, and that's why it's kind of scary to Spotify is they can reach so many more advertisers than Spotify, in my opinion, because they're Google and not to say like, not to accuse anything, but like there could be kind of a, 
roll around to it, you know, kind of like a buddy situation. We wash hands where it's like, okay, you want to, you want to come get a, you, you know, uh, your website set up. We'll put it up in the uh, Google search. We'll give you some ads in Google. We'll give you some ads on YouTube. Hey, do you want me to throw in some like YouTube music, you know, kind of ads too on the side? If it's like an added benefit, I mean, they are like yeah. ad central, you know what I mean? Well, it seems like it's, it's fully integrated in the Google ad space where where it is like you could check off a box whether you want audio and video and the other thing i'll add is that the going to the analytics part of it is because youtube music is attached to a google account they are going to have so much more data than spotify will because they can see what your google account views what other sites you're going to what you're looking up on youtube the regular platform uh you know and all that kind of stuff and do targeted ads from that data as well which is a lot more than you just using the spot Spotify app. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. So that's what's scary about it for Spotify is just because the giant behemoth that, you know, really alphabet, but I'm just going to say Google for simplicity, uh, has in this space. Um, I hope that the ad revenue goes up because YouTube is notoriously one of the biggest devaluers of like streaming music there is. Oh, it's a pro and a con. I mean, well, it's the place and, where people can find your music for free. And I'm going to be honest. I think the, the guy's saying that, you know, we're, we're building this for the artists. Yeah. No, yeah, you're building sure. it for okay. YouTube. <laughs> like you guys barely pay people in general. So I, I have a hard time believing that they really, if any more money is going to come to artists, if, if I'm being completely honest, right. I think this is just to benefit, uh, YouTube. Um, and, and we've seen in these, um, companies, the money mostly comes from subscriptions. Mm -hmm. So if you analytically look at YouTube, you know, or YouTube music and well, also YouTube too, the money that somebody who has YouTube premium pays is astronomical compared to the amount of money they get paid for. If somebody, you know, CPM, somebody watches your video, you know, and I, or your ad. It's just so much. You see it in Spotify too. Yeah. Um, so the benefit is to get people like subscribe and to and to pay. It's not to watch ads, right? But there is a lot of that still. That you know, there's there's a good like they said there is a fifteen percent chunk <laughs> of like possible. This might make us some money. I also you know? think that this is a really good way of going against Spotify in the market by being like, here's another free alternative that has a lot of licensed music on it. Yeah. And you it, di it differentiates, uh, YouTube music from Spotify too, especially to ad buyers, you know, here's what we do better. This right. is what we can do better. Yeah. And as that's, a business, that's what YouTube has to do is to, it, even though they basically kind of ripped off the design of, of Spotify on their platform, they still need something that has an edge over the competition. Right. I mean, there's a reason why you said, oh, it goes on your mood. That's such a Spotify thing. thing. And now, you know, now it's a data thing, but Spotify really pioneered that in streaming is going like, oh, it's a rainy day in San Francisco. This is what people like to listen to. Yeah, I would still say Spotify's struggling with that um, because I, I just don't think people... Um, have really, I don't think they figured out how the algorithm really uh, gets it to people when they want to listen to it yet. So you know what I mean? Here's my Like, opinion. yes, if it's raining, you're going to get like a rainy day playlist pop up. But I, I don't think people are, are all like, oh yeah, rainy day playlist. Let me click on that right now. You might get like a good couple of percentage. Well, I think it's a promo it. thing too. I think at yeah. the same time that you're saying, oh, 
we're, you know, like, oh, you know, we have all these analytics and it can tell you as a user what you want to listen to. It's also cool to consumers to be like, Spotify could know like when you're mad and can give you, and some people think it's really creepy, but some people think it's really awesome and, mm-hmm. you know, know to play, I <laughs> yeah, know to Spotify. play Avril Lavigne or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Give me some Mastodon. <laughs> right. So like, that's, that's kind of like, it's kind of both ways. It's like, oh, it's a feature, but it's also like a cool promo thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the, sc- I, I still hold the scariest thing about this is that the Google ads are supporting it because they're so good at it. And I think in the free space, because there's so many people that watch stuff for free compared to the people who buy it, this is just the way the world works, um, that like, it's nice to have an alternative to Spotify that's free has probably going to match the level of ads there are, but could have a more um, intelligent ad base that maybe could annoy the consumer less. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because it, it does seem like the general public have totally agreed that Spotify ads are the fucking worst. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, and I think part of that is by design, but I think mm-hmm. there's kind of like a, well, because they're pushing to get people, to subscribe. Right. But at the same time, I think it's kind of like a give and take scenario where it's yeah. like, we don't want to piss these people off so much they go away, but we also want to add revenue money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, it's kind of like a give and take with that. And I think it's literally going to come down to who has the more data, who has the more resources to put this together. And, and who's going to capture the ad buyers. Right. And it's, I, I think in the, right now it's Google now to, you know, still YouTube music kind of has an uphill battle in terms of, a couple of the ways that it works and just general, you know, street cred is what I'll call it in terms <laughs> of the public, you know, and being like, because like, let's be honest, like if you, if you look up streaming, if you talk about streaming, what's the one company you hear about streaming music at Spotify. So like, they just have so much more brand recognition mm-hmm. and YouTube music has, you know, some hurdles to go through alongside, um, you know, just not having brand recognition. And just like UI things and weird, like as someone who uses it, like it definitely has some things that I feel like Spotify does better that might win people over just from like a UI experience. And as a Spotify user, I don't want to say sit here and say Spotify is perfect because it's not either because there are definitely UI problems uh, with it in particular. I don't think there's any app that doesn't have a UI problem somewhere. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. I think the brand recognition is, is is very important. I just think like this is a huge up compared to a lot of the downs YouTube music has compared to Spotify. Oh yeah. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. and I, I think that can't be doubted. Like um so and I, this is this is what people are this is what the boardroom people are pitching. This is the thing that's like hey work with us our ads are the best. They're the ones that they actually gets people to click on your links. Joe, can you define for me? It says, however, in order to place options against YouTube's dynamic music lineups, then it's only in the top 5% of music releases. What, what do you mean by options? So, um, options. So like there, there's like, a, there's basically a top 5% of, uh, players. Let's just say that are doing the best, right? The, out of the number one streaming people. pretty Exactly. Much. Okay. Um, those people in order to get ads placed, with those people basically okay you have to be with those people if that makes sense or like you have to have some sort of uh in there you probably have to have some like acceptance or like some written approval or something you have to be basically in the quote youtube select music lineup right because and that's it seems like you know how spotify does the 
hey, uh, Drake released a new album. Here's a banner with a graphic of Drake releasing the new right. album. I think that's kind of the same idea where it's like, oh, you get you get like this push to people and you get this like banner here next to Drake's album. Well, I also think that it's it's twofold. One, it's a protection for the artists so they're not, you know, immediately assumed with a brand. We don't want like basically the reverse of an adpocalypse scenario. Yeah. And YouTube works a lot with top artists right. too so directly. Like, we don't we don't want that. And then like that protects the artists, but at the same time we don't want as a company to devalue these artists in a way, you know, with brands and all the time and yep. just, you know, make them seem like, Oh, we, anybody can get on here because again, this 5% of music releases is the most exposed people. You know what I mean? Like if we, you know, literally if we went by a graph, these, you know, 5% of people are what at least one user, like everybody, I bet if they went through all the users, it would be like 99% of the users at least listen to one song by this person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so like, that's also, a, it's like another protection thing there. But I mean that it makes sense, and I'm I'm completely fine with that because we YouTube specifically, and since it's called YouTube Music, which I already have my vices with the name of that, but since it's called YouTube Music, it automatically gets assumed with YouTube. So we don't want another ad apocalypse scenario where people are like, "Why the fuck is my ad, you know, for trucks on a video of violence or something?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, I already see it though with the genres and stuff where it's like the new Ford truck. Now here <laughs> is Keith Urban. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Ford trucks, uh, let's talk about Ariana Grande. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, great brand. Wouldn't that be great if Ariana Grande is like, I really love the new Toyota, you know, like <laughs> it just, it'd be, it'd be like the opposite of success of the Travis Scott McDonald's thing. It'd be yeah. like negative. Um, so just like that. All right. We cover, if you guys have been listening this long, we covered this a really long time ago and it really went through and it finally went through in October, but basically billboard is talking about how their new bundling rules have affected the way that some albums have like released in their strategies and stuff like that. So it, it literally, it was like one of our third or fourth episode. I remember covering it. So, just give you a recap, obviously, if you weren't on episode like three, <laughs> it, it was very commonplace to see bundling as an effort to increase chart su- success for billboard charts. So like merch specifically with an album or tickets, you would you would buy right. tickets, you would get a merch bundle, right? With something album. like that. But this specifically has to deal with albums bundled with merch most yep. of the time or tickets, but mostly it's merch. But the long awaited billboard merch change took effect on October 9th. And basically has caused a lot of people to change their attitudes of how they're trying to get chart success. So a quick recap is basically billboard since October night 9th does not count merch bundles with albums in the bundle if, and counts them as album sales. So like basically if you have a shirt, if Joe had a shirt for sale and was like, Oh, also with this shirt, you get my album and it's $12 and I gave Joe $12, then they would go, okay, that's one album sale before the billboard chart change. Now for it to be counted as an album sale, Joe would have to be like, the shirt is $8 and the CD is $4. You know that this CD is an additional price in on top of that. Mm -hmm. And so like, if that's the case and I go, okay, give me the bundle knowing that the CD or give me, yeah, it's $4. Then that can count as a sale. 
Um, so basically, this was made in an effort from Billboard to try to get consumer interest uh, accurate. Yeah, because it accurate. seemed like a lot of people were buying tickets, buying merch bundles, and they didn't even know they were going to get the album. Right, because there is an effect of being like, I'm buying a shirt because I think it's cool, not necessarily because I want you know to buy, I don't know, a, a Ariana Grande album, which I'll talk about in a second. So... Uh, they talk about Ariana Grande's new album, which is called Positions, and it went number one, and it came in despite the loss of merch bundles, and basically, it had a very strange uh, difference from the last album, because the bundling wasn't there. Um, So, basically, Ariana teased, and this was their strategy, she started teasing this album in social media starting in the summer, and she was saying, I'm gonna go work on things for you, and be back soon, and, like, was saying all this promotion and stuff until its release date on October 30th, and uh, to quote, we were prepared for lower numbers, says Allison Kay, president of SB Projects, Grande's management company, quote, we did everything we could to adjust the plan, it was always in our mind, the new rules really changed the way we released this. Uh, and so to quote from Billboard, without the merch bundles, Positions sold 42,000 copies in the first week, according to Nielsen Music slash MRC data, considerably lower since the last year's Thank You Next, which scored 116,000 in part because Grande bundled digital copies of those albums with Valentine's Day merch, such as, quote, Break Up With Your Girlfriend on Board, end quote, Crew Neck, and Heart shaped pillows grande continues to sell t-shirts and hoodies of course but the days of what kate calls quote merch wars may be over due to the billboard change um so uh, ariana though is still very active with merch but it's very separate so it's like you can buy masks for 15 dollars or this 80 dollar blanket but as kay adds but the impetus for doing it is different like, it's just not considered like, oh, we have to bundle these together to up my chart success. Um, so this, I love the way Billboard said this, so I had to say it verbatim. In a statement, he insisted to Billboard print in full. <laughs> Jim Ropo, executive VP and general manager of Grande's label Republic Records, added, quote, with respect to the timing and release strategy, we take our cues from Ariana. It's about her art her vision, her direction on how she wants to share new music with her fans. Charts or metrics do not dictate when her new music is released. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Yeah. Anyway, sure. <laughs> uh, other than yeah, the rest of the music industry just collectively rolled their eyes yeah. at that. Other than raw numbers, Billboard seems to insinuate that maybe even some albums tried to beat the date of October 9th when the merch bundles were going to be stopped being counted as album sales. So as Billboard states, quote, Carrie Underwood's holiday album, My Gift, (laughs) arrived conspicuously early on September 25th, (laughs) just a few weeks before the rule change hitting number number one on top country albums. Alicia Keys dropped her long-awaited Alicia on September 18th and land at number one on top R&B albums. Both releases, as well as others by stars during this unusually heavy release period, included bundles. <laughs> um, otherwise, to kind of get around this, instead of being like Ariana Grande and we're going to change our outlook on it and how we do it, uh, people are trying to come the other route and basically they're trying to create more value for the merch bundles outweighing having to state the album adds cost to the bundles or 
they also just try to up the factor of like a CD. So ACDC had power up and it came in a $49 light box, which I didn't know what that meant, but basically it's just a CD case with lights and nice. it holds the CD. Number one thing of a CD case, uh, it <laughs> lights up and it plays a little part of the record. Like, you know, like a little you know jingle and a really shitty speaker. I would uh, be concerned if it didn't hold the CD. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to add it in there because like it, all the brain was like, wow, you open it up and it plays a song. And I was like, does it hold the CD though? That's what <laughs> I need to know. Um, and Sean Mendes Wonder, which has not been released yet, is going to have a zine and a card back with the CD. Again, trying to up the value of buying a particular CD. Um, so bundling has and continues to be constantly debated within the music industry as well. Quote in 2018, Nicki Minaj ripped Scott, Travis Scott for overtaking her on the billboard 200 when he included quote season pass and quote early access passes to the concert venues with his album Astro world quote from Nicki. He knows he doesn't have the number one album this week. She tweeted, <laughs> uh, Promoters also have historically had to eat the cost of album ticket bundles, but AEG has announced recently that their promoters will no longer be responsible for the costs after the pandemic ends. Um, so Republic's Robo, who again, one of the full statement read out, says uh, separately from Ariana's release, there is a much larger discussion to be had within the industry about charts and how fans want to consume music for over a decade. Fans have consistently expressed, their desire for integrated merch tickets and bundled music as part of the artist's experience his statement said end quote and that this fan choice about how to consume should be acknowledged and embraced by the charts as a reflection of modern music marketplace i.e please give me the merch bundles back <laughs> um Album sales notably dropped 18.7% in 2018 and in the streaming age continue to be a very small piece, but are very key metrics as Billboard states, uh, artists and their reps remain focused on sales figures and the prestige of high charting releases, which cave uh, from Ariana Grande's management company says, I always like a number one. I love a winner. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Well, don't we all, don't we all. So the, I, I think it's a big deal because like, if you don't know, I mean, billboard, billboard charts are like the charts most of the time. I yeah. mean, you have the Nielsen data, but like billboard is the respected publisher of that data. Most of the time in the world, like most of the, you know, like Rolling Stone has one or whatever, you know, but most people, if you're like, Oh, what's the industry? Who's at number one, look at the billboard one. Mm -hmm. So them changing it is a big deal because as we've kind of talked about this before, having a number one album is also just more press for your album is more being like, wow, we did it. You know what I mean? And is the way to it's have another thing you could put in the press release. It's another know? thing you put in the press release. It's another thing to have a bunch of blogs and other media sites write about you and get in more in face. It's another thing, you know, just to personally say in your contract negotiation, Oh, I had a number one song. Yeah. It's you the battle I mean? to the Grammys. Right. And you know, that kind of thing. So that's why it's a huge deal, you know, cause I, I always have to say this is billboards chart. It's, you know, Nielsen has the data and stuff like that. And then these publications compile that data based on their own 
rules like and so billboards thrown out this merch rule which is huge mm-hmm. uh personal favorite still is that carrie underwood holiday album in september what a merry time september is for the christmas season yeah, it's the most christmas part of the year honestly. look i get it we get it the supermarkets start christmas the day after halloween but not in september <laughs> <laughs> um but like yeah i yeah. mean a little it, early there, little especially early there, from us being in Nashville. We the the amount of country people that need that one, you know, number. This is the number one record on Hot Country. This is the number one thing they tote that stuff like it's you know their badge of honor on. Oh them. yeah, and especially in the country industry. So like, I get it. She's not dumb, but it is a little suspicious, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I to move on to the main point is. I I get this guy's argument and the argument about merch bundles. And can, wh- what do we think, Joe, about merch bundles? Do we think that's an accurate representation for a chart to go? Well, you mean like pre the change? Or no, like post? we can do both, basically. We can argue the anti and negative and the positive is basically like this, you know, Robo from Republic basically argues that kind of fan choice and like them buying merch is kind of an acknowledgement that they want the album because they bought the merch from the artists yeah. and stuff like that. I, I think, uh, I think it's, it's more, I think the change reflects it more in my opinion, because if people truly wanted the record, they would still buy it even if it wasn't bundled. Right. So I think, yeah, I mean, numbers are going to be deflated. Uh, a lot of the time, merch bundling happened, too, because artists were competing with other tours and they needed to beat their numbers in order to get on those billboard charts and everything like that and make more money on the tour and all that stuff. It all kind of meshes together. But um, I think for sure the change uh, is is more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem like you're you're taking the bundles away like the bundles are still available right. you can still get it i think everyone who you know if i'm gonna buy like a 30 dollar t-shirt what's four more dollars right i'm uh yeah sure fuck it i'll buy another cd like i'm not gonna use it because like there's no place to play cds anymore but it'd be cool just to have either way yeah um and i think some of the more hardcore fans would do that or better yet if they had like an mp3 download code or something like that, or vinyl, even better, you know? Because yeah. it seems like vinyl at this point is is the value is better than a Vinyl CD. is merch. Yeah. It's what it is. It's not, I, you know, a lot of people lie to me and go like, you know, I bought this vinyl because it's so it sounds better. And yeah. I'm like, you know, you can have your opinion on that. It's because you can bring it out and be like, yeah, yo, be guys, like, I bought vinyl. Did you guys see my vinyl? You know, like, <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> They're like, but like, I, I, it's a big deal because, you know, even though they talk about the sales being so low in the space, which I get it, it's like, it's hard to argue, you know, um, oh, album sales or whatever. Oh, if you buy an album, is that such a big deal? Well, it is a big deal because it takes 1500 streams to get one album sale. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a big difference. Between, so people, you know, when people figured out that that was a way to exploit the, the numbers and, and getting on the charts better, like quicker and, and beating, you know, their competitors. I mean, people flooded to it. And, and to be honest, I think billboard did a good thing about changing it because it, the data, the data is not as skewed now. It seems like right. I think you, you have to show. You have to show that you want this album. Exactly. Now the thing that I think that it kind of maybe screws up thing is maybe the merch bundling process for a lot of companies mm-hmm. and being like, 
well, I mean, the shirt's really cool and stuff, but how can we, you know, well, it's really, it used to be the opposite way. I mean, it used to be like, how can we get people to buy the CD? Let's throw in a shirt. You know what I mean? But also it, it does like, add, how can we get people to buy this album? <laughs> right. It does. It does also go the opposite way to a way lesser extent to be like, how can you make somebody buy a $50 shirt? There's also an album code in it, you know yeah. what I mean? Or something. And so like, that could be a little bit hard if you're the person actually setting the prices and stuff like that is to be like, would you like, you know, maybe a year ago, the record label would have been like, yeah, throw in an album code. Who the fuck cares? You know what I mean? I think it also is determined on how um, competitive you are as an artist, because I think a lot of this is mainly artists at the top, obviously, who have enormous tours, uh, have huge teams behind them. Um, and sometimes you wonder whether it's the artist or the team that's pushing this, uh, because you know, if the artist, if Ariana Grande gets a number one, her team gets a number one, right? right. They can, they can be like, Hey, I helped Ariana get a number right. one. This management company can go, we made Ariana have a number one album. For exactly. Me. So it, the number one is not necessarily for the artist. It's for all the people working with the artist and the artist. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean you can like I said like you can throw all that the, all the reasons I said for artists, but also it works the same way for industry people. Yeah, I was on the number one team for this. Will you give me this new promotion? You know, like yep. that also works for them too. Bonus, please. Yeah, I but. I you know I I kind of to put my thing in it. I I get it. I think it works, and I think it. I I agree with this change. Um, I do think that there can be an acknowledgement from fans, you know, to be like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I think our idea of chart could be interesting because like, what is a chart actually supposed to show? It's supposed to show who's the, like what the public's the most interest and yeah. the metric for that is streams and, you know, buying stuff. And I was like, could we, you know, or buying albums. Could we say that, you know, showing interest is also somebody willing to buy a $40 shirt? You know, like, I I think I could make that argument if I was someone's manager, you know? Yeah. And I'm at this point, I'm huge fans of bands. I never buy their CD because I like, what am I going to do with their CD? Right. Right? Like, where am I going to play it? My car can't play CDs anymore. Most cars cannot like most newer cars. So like, that's the thing is like a chart is supposed to show consumer interest in a band. Yeah. What's more, you know, showing your interest. If you are like, I really like this band. I don't really want an album because I can stream it. I want to buy one of their shirts. You know I, what I, mean? I personally think the best way of, of showing interest is if you go to a concert. Well, wow, because you, you schedule it out. You, you pay the money. Some of these ticket prices are insane, um, especially for the huge now, artists. I will add what I'm curious about is this skirting kind of effect that we're seeing with the ACDC and Sean Mendes thing and how far and how much are they going to have to define on this? Because that's my question because Sean Mendes wonder, which apparently I think it comes out in December is going to have a zine and a card pack with it. I consider that merch. Yeah, absolutely. Like, would that not be merch bundling? You know what I mean? In this, in an essence, well, they're going to go, well, it's part of the CD. It has like, you know, liner notes and stuff like that and other CDs of it. So like, what's the end to that? You know well, what I, I mean? mean? And then there you go, Colin. I think, I think we'll f- be forever asking that question. Right. The <laughs> amount of time that we're in the industry. So. Right. So who knows? Um, but moving on, uh, Conan O'Brien ends late night show after 10 seasons and 28 years as a host. So usually we talk about music uh, on the 
this podcast, but I think this is something that's super important. Oh, we um, say and media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but this is extremely important because Conan is a is a like is an extremely huge force and a huge music. force for music. Yeah, yeah for music and for entertainment in general. So after 28 years of competing in the late night space, Conan O'Brien has decided to end his show on TBS and switch to a weekly variety series on HBO, as well as continuing to build his existing podcast, which has actually been taking off insane insane numbers on his podcast podcast apparently conan stated in the uh, quote in 1993 johnny carson gave me the best advice of my career as soon as possible get to a streaming platform <laughs> i'm thrilled to continue doing whatever the hell it is i do on hbo max and i look forward to a free subscription end quote so as variety points out in their write-up quote his talker conan which has already been downsized to 30 minutes in 2019 remained his home base but it's not where most fans got their conan fixed these days while it's worth wondering where conan o'brien is willing to give up on that day the grind Perhaps the bigger question might be, should anyone still be into that grind? Late Night has become, quote, next day TV. Viewers catch highlights and share them via YouTube and other social media. So it's no surprise that the former uh, Late Night host as well um, has shifted. I mean, Conan kind of, if you watched interviews before, he talked about how you know, he didn't see a point in doing an hour show anymore. Like the base just wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And so that's why he completely changed the format to where it was a, it was a much more relaxed set. Um, it, it was much more, um, it was honestly kind of like a podcast to be honest with you, because it's just, it just seemed like a long form interview right. show. Um, so yeah, it's no surprise that, um, audiences have been shifting over the years due to the internet becoming the dominant medium with entertainment consumption, consumption. Um, and even with mass competitors in the space, Conan has always maintained a huge presence on with online platforms such as YouTube and Spotify, which connected with his audience consistently, uh, by him consistently reinventing himself, uh, through remotes such as quote Conan without borders, which is a series that garnered a huge following for him internationally and actually helped support the show's position. And I argue it probably is the thing that kept him in TBS for so long, uh, because those, those remotes went viral every time he posted on, yeah. on YouTube. Um, so there, there's a lot of things to break down on about Conan. Uh, I, I'm just going to preface this by saying, I think Conan, um, in our, in our age group and our, the way we've seen late night is, is the best late night host hands down that I I've seen. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see because I think this move is going to come dramatically shift the way people are going to do late night in the future. Um, and I also think it, it brings a lot of questions to like variety said in the article, what's the point? What's the point of these late night shows? Right. If people aren't watching. So I think that it's, I, I, I think the format, is very it's old it's you know in the terms of like retention and stuff like that and i think that i i think that it does have a place though i i think there is a place for late night but i think the problem is is there's too many yeah i think that's I think the that reason is a huge i think if you know it would be the same if there was seven snl's like, I was writing people's names down. There's Colbert, there's Jimmy Fallon, there's Jimmy Kimmel, there's Seth Meyers, there's John Oliver, there's Trevor Noah. Like, back in the day, it was like, you watch Jay Leno? Did you watch David Letterman? Mm-hmm. Or did you watch Conan? 
Yeah. That was it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there was like a couple, like, you know, maybe one other that and I'm then missing. Jimmy Kimmel came up. Right. But, but like, that's what I'm saying is like, it was so much less. Yeah. But now that well, all the it, brands have their own version of it. And I think another thing um, is all of them are the same now. It seems like I'm watching the same show. Like I, I click on Jimmy Kimmel, his, his monologue. Let's, let's talk about politics. Like where we are in politics. Okay. That's fair. You know, it's, it's, it's current events. It's what's happening. Click over to, uh, Stephen Colbert. Same thing. He's talking about politics now, uh, and, and trying to make light of it, trying to make fun of it. Okay. Click over to Trevor Noah. Same thing. <laughs> like there is a pattern. I think the difference with Conan is that he, he didn't really do that as much as the other one. He actually made an effort to, to stay away from that because he didn't want to get looped into the, I, I I'm just political. I'm just talking about current events thing. I just want to be funny and I want people to come because it's me, I not think, because of what's happening. I think the thing with it is that, um, he has a luxury that the others don't and it's that he went into the internet space and embraced it more yeah. than just, I put my clip shows on the YouTube channel of the late night show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the pro in this is, and this is what's giving him the ability to take off into the internet and get away from late night. And I think there's, there's a reason why he's doing that. And the reason why is it's a smart move. And he's one of the few that can have this option. You yeah. know what I mean? Because, like, we've seen traditional internet entertainers try to go into the TV space, and we've seen the opposite. TV try to go in the internet space, and it's very difficult, very hard, different genres, different types of demographics, different content, uh, different, you know, uh, performances. It's a very different space. And Conan has spent the last 10, 15 years really going, okay. How am I going to get some online content on there that isn't just my show clipped? And that's paying off because he has the ability to just leave, you know? And it's not like, oh, Conan's career is over. No, we're still going to hear about Conan. You know what I mean? He's going to have his own podcast. Now, I get it. You can make the argument, well, he was on, you know, he was a late night host. There's so many people watching TV or something. And I was like... At the same time, I'd be like, look, I get it. It's traditional, but I think you're kind of taking the non-traditional for granted and the amount of how much people watch, how much people reconsume content years and years later. You know what I mean? Late night stuff is like that too, but it's only the clips they can get out. Nobody's watching like a Jimmy Fallon monologue making fun of, I don't know, Trump or something four years ago that doesn't have high retention to rewatch i would rewatch conan talking to somebody or his remotes right or him at a place because that's a place in time and that's like an event yeah you know and that's why you see that on the late night shows on their youtube channels because what they put on there are events where it's like here's scar joe playing a fun game that doesn't lose you know fucking you know time that doesn't become like out of time unless you know something bad happens to one of the celebrities. But like, that's kind of like what I'm saying is like, he has taken the steps to go, Oh, I'm going to get out. I feel like all the other people are going to be like, we're going to grasp for straws here. We're going to do our clips. And then eventually when I get too old, I'm going to retire with all the money I have. And that's it. And then Conan's like, why am I going to just be limiting my brand to the people who only watch on here? 
who only care about it. I'm not going to gain that much more people on TV doing everything that everybody else does that's already overpopulated. Let's just go to a new thing. You know? Yeah. Well, and Conan is always the first, it seems like, to, to do that. Um, I mean, he was, like you said before, he was one of the first to get on YouTube. He was in, and really succeed on YouTube, you know? Um, and, but like I said, I, I do think because he is the first, a lot of people are going to follow. Um, I think we're actually going to see a very big drop in a lot of these late night shows. Uh, maybe the next couple of I just of years. don't think the infrastructure can sustain it. I mean, I can it's name more. Show. Well, it's, it's, it's literally the it's same. It's very show. same. It's all on, and most of it is always on cable. It's not like the, you know, John Oliver is the only one that will stream, you know, put on YouTube like a full section well, of Well, and I would argue. And John Oliver's in a different tier now. Exactly. Because he He's, differentiated himself. I don't even himself. think of him as a late night show. Right. Like, it's, it's, it's very analytical. His show is very research based. Right. He, cha- he changed. He went, he was like, I'll take a chance. We'll do this. And he modified his show to be different. Yeah, exactly. Which is like why I think that a lot of these are going to fail. Because I think what's going to happen is with the fall of cable over time, which it's going to fall, and the eventuality of it being on streaming, I just don't think it fits streaming very well. The format of those shows, I think the fan base is going to dwindle over time. And then people are going to have to make make a jump off the sinking ship and whoever prepared the fucking lifeboats by going on, I'm going to make YouTube content. I'm going to make different content. I'm going to make stuff that works on the internet is going to survive the sinking ship. And everyone else is going to get eaten alive by the sharks because it's literally going to be like, Hey, let's try to make this on YouTube. And all the YouTube people are going to be like, I'm not watching fucking late night on YouTube again. We've been, done this for like 60 to 70 years. Yeah. We're not doing this again. You know what I mean? Now, do I think the late night format's completely dead? No. I think that someone could succeed at I, it. I think and, it really is dependent on your personality and how you're selling that personality and also what you're talking about on the show. If it seems like you're talking about the same thing as the guy at Channel Up, what is what is the purpose of me sticking around. Well, for your show. that, and then I would argue that like, I just think, yeah, I think the main issue other than the format needing to be reevaluated is just, there's too many. There's just there's too many. Too many. There was, there used to be three in the nineties. You yep. know what I mean? Like that's what it was. You just can't have eight. Con- it would be like if this podcast had 15 others where, you know, bizarro me and bizarro Joe talked, it would yeah. be like, Oh, those aren't going to do because they weren't the ones who did it first. You know what I mean? It's just annoying. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm trying to say. It just seems at this point, at, at this point, uh, late night is almost just a formality for the industry itself. Uh, especially if you're being booked as a musical act, you know, if you're on the that Tonight movies, Show, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're on the, if you're playing on the Tonight Show or Conan, I mean, that's a huge fucking deal, right? right? Uh, that you get a lot of street cred for that in certain circles, but. Um, I, I do th- agree with you. I think because there's so many, um, and it, it is just a format that is so dated at this point that I just don't see it surviving much longer the way it's going. Yeah. So and- something needs to change. And that's why I think Conan actually was one of the leading peer- people to change it. But now he's kind of seen, I don't want to, he, I also think he just doesn't want to do it anymore. But I, I also think, you know, he's seen like, He's kind of reading the. I just the note I just wall, think you know, that it's like look wall. if you're clipping out from a 60 minute show, 10 to 15 minutes that are usable for the internet, 
the rest of your show has some problems. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think Conan was like. I can't remember the last time I watched a full late night show. It's hard. I can't remember. And, you know, like, (laughs) it's just difficult. Like, and it's not because of availability. You can get them on streaming. It's just, it's a hard sell in a digital age, you know? So, yeah. Joe, what have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to a lot of stuff. Uh, let's see here. Um, I've been listening to a guy named D.D. Dumbo. Um, <laughs> That's not a real it's name. A, it's a real fucking All name. Right. Uh, and it's dope. He's got this album called Utopia Defeated, um, another album I found in college that I, I just fell in love with. Um, it's really cool. It, he has... He he incorporates like a lot of world music sounds, but his he he does it like all by himself. He uses like a looper, and um, it's mostly guitar heavy and like his his vocals. Oh yes, but it's it's very cool. Um, and then listening a lot of tear, Tears for Fears, uh, War on Drugs, oh, and probably my favorite album this week. Um, I don't know if a lot of you have slept on this. I slept on it. Uh, Fleet Foxes came out with an album called Shore. And it's probably the best Fleet Foxes album to date. Fair. And I think a lot of people just did not listen to it. Um, I did not. <laughs> it's, dude, it's good. It's really, really good. So um, highly suggest. Let's see. For some future content, I've been listening to a lot of random stuff. I was listening I was listening to Nelly Furtada, uh, which I, everybody loves promiscuous, but I also like... Uh, <laughs> The Say It Right, which Tame and Paula covered recently, and that was good too. God, that song's a bop. That was a weird period of music, like around like 2006, 2000. It was like 2005 to 2012, where like for some reason, I have these weird things I like to call musical niches that existed in genres for like very microseconds. And it's really funny if you look back in the music. And the one from that time, which is in a lot of Nelly Furtado's music, is the drum line that prevails, where it's like, here's the quads and like all that stuff. And, and then like, it like, I swear to God, there was a period about 2005 to 2012, where like these producers and stuff were like, what can we make that the marching band can play back home? <laughs> like, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. Like you would listen to a Kanye record and be like, what, you know, uh, uh, I can't like flashing lights would come on or something. And it'd be like, here's the quad. And I'd be like, why is this and everything? Um, but yeah, I was listening to that. And then I also listened to, Oh, I listened to that positions album a while ago that Ariana Grande when it came out, but, um, I it, still haven't listened to it. It's yet. pretty good. Yeah, um, too. I think it's for a lot of people, it's not going to be enough from, uh, thank you next. Cause it's just like, it's a little weird and I like that. And I think it's just kind of like a thing with it. That's going to kind of limit it. The best way to describe it and the goddamn TikTok took it before I made this joke before I want to have this on record. <laughs> I made this joke before TikTok got on it. I said to my girlfriend, I went, this sounds like she has the Wii music as the background <laughs> of her beats and she used a Wii sample pack. And like the Wii shop music was this song's backing. And then my girlfriend turns to me with a TikTok and she goes, here. And it's like, 
y'all ever notice Ariana Grande's new album sounds like the Wii music, and then they like overdub her vocals on top of it, and I'm just like, these people got to it you before me. Yeah, man, you should have gotten on that clout train. Right. It's pretty good. It's very explicit, which I was like fucking surprised about, but like, it's Ariana, so she's very comfortable with her sexuality, owns her sexuality, which I really appreciate. She doesn't feel like she's like over-sexualized. She feels like, well, this is my decision. I, I think a lot of people are surprised by that, but I'm not, I'm not very surprised. I mean, I mean, uh, like, thank you, next. Like, the whole thing was very sexual. So, it, yeah, it but it wasn't literally saying fuck me. Yeah, okay. That's the difference. I'll give you that. Because, like, you know, we've, with all these, like, you know, uh, young girl kind of singers, it's like always cute, like, ha 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 ha. And then Ariana's like, fuck me. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like, oh fuck. We're at a different level now. Like, this ain't getting played at prom, you know? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, but. That's showbiz, baby. <laughs> Thanks for listening to That Showbiz Baby podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. You can follow us on our socials, Twitter at Showbiz Baby Pod, Facebook and Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, or email us, That Showbiz Baby Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we got a lot of cool stuff working on in the future. We actually have some tier list stuff that we're going to be doing for our social content. So make sure to check that out. And uh, maybe in the future, we'll have another deep dive pretty soon. So yeah, thanks.